Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us here on our online platform. Uh, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. We're having a ton of fun doing it. We're learning a lot about Jesus, and we're also learning a lot about ourselves. And before we jump into our passage uh, for this morning, I, w- I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you if you are, if you're tired, if you are tired of fact-checking everything. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, there are a couple words that I've, I've known since I was a child but putting those two words together has never been something I've really done kind of till recently. Words like fake and news and words like fact and check, right? We're, we hear all the time about fake news, fake news, fake news. And the only way to get around fake news is to fact check everything, is to go to the sources, to check the opinions, to really dive down deep and see what are the true things that are going on. And, and what's crazy is in our information sources that we have, they're so incredibly imperfect. What we realized, and one study showed, that, that fake news actually travels six times faster than real news. Well, that's incredibly frustrating. I, I know my wife and I, we noticed this, and, and some members of our small group too, we were joking about this as, as we're watching the debates and we're watching the town hall meetings, we're sitting there with our phones and we're, we're like fact-checking everything that's being said right there in real time. And then we realized, wait a second, I have to fact-check my fact-checking because every news media outlet has their own little fact-checking tool. And it turns out the fact checkers don't tend to agree with each other on the facts. And it's so incredibly frustrating. It makes you just think, are we ever going to get the real story? Are we ever going to get the truth? Who can we trust? Elections are so incredibly important. And I I hope you have voted or you're going to vote soon, just right after watching this. And elections are incredibly important. So important Yet our information sources are incredibly imperfect. And it leaves us kind of wringing our hands, wondering what is really true. Well, is this also true when it comes to spiritual things? Can we ever be certain about spiritual things? Can we fact check Jesus? Can we really get to the truth? Can we really uncover who he is? Or are we just going to be left in kind of this fog, not knowing with certainty, who Jesus Christ is. I think what we're going to see in our passage today is, yes, we can find the truth about Jesus. In fact, Jesus is going to make this wonderful promise to us. He's going to say, if you're really looking for truth, if you're really fact-checking for spiritual truth, you'll find it. If you're a true seeker, you will find truth. See, Jesus is going to welcome the idea of investigation. He's going to welcome the idea of inquiry. Jesus is okay with you fact-checking him. And we're going to see in our passage this morning that Jesus will actually command us to do that. Let me show you this. This is in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 14. John chapter 7, starting with verse 14. And let me just summarize for you kind of the main idea of what I think Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage. And it's going to be the big idea for us today. We always try to give you at least one sentence, one phrase that you can write down to kind of encapsulate all of what we're trying to communicate in our messages. It's something we want to stick with you for at least a week. 
So the big idea for this message is this. Fact check Jesus. Very simple. Fact check Jesus. Examine him. Look into him. Yes, politicians make these these grand claims and these super big promises. And really, Jesus does the same thing. And in fact, I would say Jesus really ups the ante. Jesus actually makes these astounding claims. He says things that no politician has ever said. You see, but what's different with Jesus is he's not blowing smoke at you. He's not just talking a big game, hoping you won't look in to his claims. No. Jesus makes these outstanding claims, and then he says, look into it. Check me out. Judge and see if I am true. Jesus welcomes inquiry. He welcomes investigation. He welcomes your scrutiny. He welcomes your skepticism. Let me show you how this is found in our passage for this morning. Again, John chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So let's just set the scene here. Jesus has just gone up to this religious feast, so there's a huge crowd of people. And, and, and there is a religious festival, which means there, there's a kind of a heightened sense of a religious awareness. People are thinking about spiritual things. They're thinking about God. They're thinking about their relationship with God. And Jesus finds this to be a primary opportunity to speak publicly of his teaching. So he does that. He takes advantage of this moment. He seizes the moment, and he starts teaching about his Father. He starts teaching about God, and he starts teaching about himself and his identity as the Son of God, equal to God, but different than God the Father. He starts to just expound who he is and his identity and his relationship to God. And the crowd is astounded by this. Look at the reaction, verse 15. And the Jews, therefore, Jews meaning probably the Jewish religious leadership. So think leadership here, not necessarily just a group of everyday Jews. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? What are they doing here? They're fact-checking Jesus here. They're looking into him. They're, they're, They're skeptical about Jesus. They, they hear what he's saying and they think to themselves, wait a second, this guy has no learning. He has not studied. It says that they marvel at this. It means they're puzzled by this. It, it, it's not that they're in awe of Jesus, but they find Jesus' teaching to be something new. There's a novelty to it. There's, there's something that they haven't heard before. But this amazement really causes confusion. Like, how, how on earth can this guy talk like this? And we see that in their question. Their question is, how can this man have learning? He has not studied. Now, what are they asking here? Now, we gotta, kind of have to go back a little bit and look into kind of the history of how rabbis would teach of the time. Rabbis, rabbis is just a, a title for a Jewish teacher. And Jewish teachers of that day prided themselves on citation, prided themselves on quoting other people. In fact, a good rabbi would teach himself kind of all of the past opinions of other rabbis. 
And so a good rabbi, when he was teaching, would always reference back to somebody before him, always reference back to the past. He would show himself to be a good disciple of a very learned rabbi, and he would show his learning by not only knowing what his rabbi said, but also other past rabbis. And it was only after he established a sense of mastery of past opinions that he could ever give kind of a a new opinion on a topic. And what's being said of Jesus here is, wait a second, Jesus has never studied. We don't, we don't know who Jesus is connected to. Who's Jesus' rabbi? Who's his teacher? Who, who, who can we tie his kind of teachings to? How can we kind of line up? What's his genealogy, if you will, his academic genealogy? Where does he stem from? What, what school is he a part of? What rabbis has he sat under? No, they, they can't find it. So Jesus looks like he's almost going rogue here. Now, we, we share a similar value in the 21st century world. When, when somebody uh, gives an opinion on something, we want, we want resources. We want citations. We want expert opinions. We want somebody to show that their, their argument is, is just well-cited, that it has good references. It has people who speak with expert opinions. If somebody just says something with, with really no backing, it's hard for us to believe that. And that's what's being said here. Jesus is seen as rogue and his teachings are seen as new. And because they're new, they're seen as unfounded. We can't trust this. We don't feel, feel comfortable with this. Now, how would Jesus take that? Does Jesus take that as an insult? Does Jesus take that Kind of as, he just dismisses it and says, well, you don't know what you're talking about. No, Jesus, I think, actually welcomes that because he gives them a very clear answer. He says, okay, you want to know who my rabbi is, right? You want to fact check me, right? You kind of got your phone out. As I'm making claims, you're thinking to yourself, wait, well, where does that come from? So Jesus says, well, let me clear the air here, right? Let, Let me push away the confusion here. Let me tell you who my rabbi is. And look what Jesus says, his response to them. Verse 16. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not my own. What is Jesus saying there? You know what? You're right. If I only spoke out of my opinion, how valid would that be? I I need to cite some sources. I need to show that my opinion comes from high authority. So Jesus says, guys, it's okay. My teaching is not my own. Look what he says. My teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. What is he saying there? God the Father taught me. It's very interesting. What Jesus does here is something that I think really hits at the heart of the Jewish religion. It's true that you had to have a good rabbi. You had to have a good teacher. But we know from the Old Testament that the primary teacher of anybody was their father, was the parents. Their job was to be kind of anybody's first rabbi. Any little boy or little girl would learn the Torah, would learn the scriptures, would learn the Hebrew language. They would learn the Shema, right? Key doctrines and sayings in the scripture. They would learn their religion from their parents, primarily to the father. That was his job. And Jesus saying, hey, I I went to the primary school here. It's not an earthly rabbi, 
But I, I, I sat at the lap of my heavenly father. He has given me this teaching. So Jesus almost kind of one-ups them, you know? They're, they're looking for, well, who, what rabbi does he align with? And Jesus says, well, my rabbi beats your rabbi, right? My rabbi is God the Father. He has taught me. So Jesus welcomes this kind of fact check. He welcomes that scrutiny. He welcomes that kind of investigation. Now look what Jesus does here, because he makes a promise to them that I think is incredibly profound and I think should be incredibly reassuring for anybody who is searching, anybody who is truly seeking after God's will, anybody who really wants to find out the truth of Jesus. Look at the promise he gives in verse 17. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching, Jesus is speaking of his teaching, is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Again, look at that. If anyone's will is to do God's will, if anybody desires to obey God, this is the qualification that Jesus is saying. If this, and then he'll say, then this. If anyone meets this criteria, what's the criteria? The criteria is not intellectual ability. Jesus is not saying if anybody has a high enough IQ. Jesus does not say if anybody has the right academic training. Right? If anybody has the right amount of learning. If anybody is, is sophisticated academic. No, Jesus is saying if you just want to obey, if you want to do God's will, then Look at the promise. If you meet that qualification, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. Jesus is saying, if you're really looking for truth, you'll find it. And see, here's what Jesus does with this kind of promise. He welcomes the scrutiny of the crowd. He says, fine, you want to fact check me? You want to find out who I am? That's great. I hope that you're doing this in sincerity, that you have pure Motives, that you're really seeking after the will of God. Because if you're seeking after the will of God, you will find that what I'm saying is true. Your fact-checking will be fruitful. You'll get to the truth. Now, here's where the passage kind of pivots a little bit here. Because what Jesus does is he now turns that fact-checking exercise off of him and onto them. And he says, well, let's see if you meet up to this scrutiny. I gave you a promise, if you're truly seeking after me, if you really want to do God's will, you'll find if my teaching is true, so Jesus will attack the idea, do you really want to do God's will? Right? Are your motives true? Jesus will not put scrutiny on their intellectual abilities. He won't put scrutiny on their academic kind of history. He'll say, do you want to obey God? Do you really want to do his will? And I think what we'll find is Jesus' opponents will be wanting in this area. They don't want to obey a God. They don't want to do God's will. And that's why they run into conflict with confirming Jesus' teaching. They can't see it to be true because they want the wrong thing. Right? Jesus is saying, if you're looking for the king, you'll find him. But if you want to be the king, you won't find him. If your motive is wrong, you won't find them. If you have just religious pride and you're seeking after power, you're seeking after prosperity, you're not seeking true piety, then you will not find what you're looking for. You won't find truth. 
because your motive is not pure. Right? Look at how Jesus, again, kind of takes the scrutiny and now places it on them. This is verse 18. What Jesus will do here is he will kind of contrast what he does and what they do in their relationship toward glory. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. So Jesus is now talking about them. He's talking about these religious teachers. He's saying, you seek your own glory. That's why you speak out of your own authority. We saw this was a problem. If you go back to John chapter 5, we see this in verse 44. Jesus has already said this to them. He said, this is what's blocking belief. This is what keeps you in unbelief. It's your pride. You are seeking the applause of men and not the approval of God. Look what he says in John 5, verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus is saying, look, your motive is impure. It's wrong. Right? You, you, you kind of parade around your, your, your religious kind of activity and, and you kind of wear the religious garb and you kind of uh, uh, posture yourself as this pious person, but you're doing it out of pride. Right? You, you're seeking to perform religious things so that people will applaud you. So you'll grab the attention of men. You'll grab the applause of men. But you don't care about the approval of God. You don't care about the only opinion that truly matters. And he says, because of that, you will never find God. Because all you care about is the crowd. All you care about is a standing ovation. And you don't, you don't care about God's approval. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 18. You're seeking after your own glory, which means you speak out of your own authority. You're the ones who only have authority in yourself. And Jesus would be saying there, and that is no authority at all. You're the ones going rogue. You're the ones who have disconnected yourself from God. Now Jesus will show how he responds. Look at verse 18 halfway through. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about himself. I seek the glory of the one who sent me. My father who taught me. My rabbi. I seek his glory. Therefore, I am true. Jesus would use this kind of argument against the religious leaders on several occasions. At one point in the gospel, he would challenge them and said, Have you found any sin in me? Have you found anything to accuse me of? Truly, can you actually bring any substantial evidence that shows that I am a sinner? And they never give anything to meet that challenge that is credible. So Jesus is kind of fact-checking them. He's saying, your fact-check won't work. (laughs) Because the way you approach it is impure. Now Jesus is not going to let go here. Jesus is just going to continue to press on the gas pedal and show them that their motive is wrong. And this is why they're not finding truth, is because their motive is not pure. And Jesus will get really specific. Look at verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Wow, now Jesus definitely ramped up the charges here. Right? He, he's picked out that you are seeking glory of men. You are prideful, uh, pompous, arrogant, pious figures who are really hollow on the inside. Right? You, you, you parade as these religious elites, but really inside you are vain people. 
You only seek the glory uh, that comes from men. And then Jesus is going to get more specific. He's like, not, not only that, but, but you show that you don't even want to obey God. He says the law came through Moses. This is where we know how to obey God. And he says one of those laws, probably a law that, that anybody could quote, if you just had people guess one of the Ten Commandments, if you had to guess just what is one moral thing, command, that you could guess God would give his people, it would be do not murder. That one's pretty basic. And Jesus is saying, you don't obey that one. You're trying to kill me. Now, I think the religious leaders, they might respond to that. They might have some sort of defense. Not a good one, but I think they would have some defense. Here's what I mean by that. And maybe this is the justification they would give. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says that there would be people who would come who could work miracles. And these workers of miracles, even though they could do these wonderful things, it doesn't mean that what they would say is true. They could perform these powerful deeds, and it doesn't mean that what they're saying is true. So Moses would write and warn them, just because you see a miracle worker, make sure you still test his words. The miracles do mean something, but they don't mean everything. So if this miracle worker comes and he teaches you to move away from the living God, then that one should be condemned. So maybe that's what they're trying to hide behind, but Jesus won't allow that. He won't allow them to try to hide behind this kind of false uh, facade of spiritual discernment. Like, oh, we're just trying to be pure. We're just, we're, we're just trying to protect our religion. No. Jesus would say, no. You're trying to hold on to religious power. That's what you're trying to do. Right? You're, 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 you're prideful and you're seeking after the glory of men. And an example is you want to break the law of Moses, the one you say that you honor, because you want to kill me. I mean, Jesus has gone pretty far, but again, he's not going to let go of pushing on that gas pedal. He's going to show them again, again, you don't fact check right. You have impure motives, and this is why you won't find the truth, right? Let's look at the, the third time that Jesus kind of presses down this investigation of them, applying scrutiny to them, fact checking them. Look at verse 20. Now the crowd answered, so they kind of butt in here. Because again, Jesus is speaking publicly. Is that they say, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Now this is the crowd. This is not the religious leaders. So the crowd apparently is not aware that the Jewish leaders are actually trying to kill Jesus. We know this is a plot that's already been given to us by the gospel writer John. It's already been revealed to us. This is what the religious leaders are trying to do. But the crowd is unaware of this. Now Jesus kind of just lets this go. He doesn't really even address the crowd. He doesn't speak to their accusation that he is demon-possessed. He doesn't speak to the idea that they're accusing him of being paranoid. He kind of just lets that slide. He, just, he almost doesn't hear it, I guess. And he goes right back to the religious teachers. Right? Look at how he responds to them, verse 21. And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. What is he talking about here? Now, we've seen Jesus have done, has done several miracles. The last one that we recorded was Jesus, or that was recorded for us that we've looked at, was Jesus feeding the 5,000. But I don't think that's what Jesus is actually talking about here. 
I think Jesus is talking about the healing that happened in John chapter 5. When he healed the man who was paralyzed. By the pool of Bethesda, he healed this man paralyzed. And he healed him on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was set up at the very beginning uh, of the, the, the scriptures. By Moses, he made a decree that there should be a rest on the Sabbath day. And this was tied all the way back to actually creation. When God created and finished that work and he took a rest on the seventh day. And so the seventh day became a monument to, to the creative work of God. And Moses explained to the people that they must rest on that seventh day from their normal work. This was the day Saturday. So Jesus happens to heal this man on Saturday. And this causes a huge ruckus. This just, just kind of breaks their understanding of what God expects of them. And that's where Jesus is going to go at these religious leaders. He responds to them, again, I think the religious leaders, and tells them, look, guys, you're missing it. You don't understand the very law that you say you teach. Your, your motive is not true. You seek to kill me. You want to break the law. You, you, you look after or look for the glory of other men, but the scriptures you don't even understand. Case in point, you have a problem with me healing on the Sabbath. Right? Look at how Jesus makes his argument against him. Verse 21 again. Jesus answered, I did one work and you all marveled. Now don't take marveled as amazed. We just saw that word earlier in verse 14. And in verse 14, it meant that they, they were somewhat, yeah, I could, you could say amazed, but they were more puzzled. They were more confused. And this is true from their reaction in John chapter 5. They were puzzled and confused and almost um, annoyed and, and, and aggravated that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. He would do a work on the day of rest. Look at how Jesus responds to that kind of accusation. Verse 22, Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is showing how they're incredibly inconsistent. Again, he's kind of fact-checking them. He's showing them, look, your motives aren't true. You don't want to obey God's law. You want the glory of other men. In fact, you don't even understand God's law. Case in point, Jesus uses an example. And he takes their understanding of the Scriptures, an argument that they would use, and he turns it on them. Here's what he's doing. It's somewhat easy to follow here, but we see this as kind of a general practice amongst Jewish teachers of Jesus' day. They would often do this. They would take two commands. Say there was a situation in which two commands would kind of be in conflict. And they would set these two commands side by side, and they would ask themselves, okay, which one should we do? Right? Which obligation should we meet? Which one takes priority? So Jesus gives the example, okay, keeping the Sabbath and circumcision, right? Every male, every Jewish male, since Leviticus chapter 12 was the command, and it goes all the way back, he says to the fathers, it goes all the way back to when God gave this uh, kind of practice to Abraham. So he says it goes all the way back to Abraham. 
But you could fast forward a little bit, and it was put into law under Leviticus chapter 12 under Moses. And he said that circumcision was a command that was supposed to be obeyed, that every male in Israel should be circumcised on the eighth day. On the eighth day. Well, what happens if the eighth day is Saturday? What happens if it's the Sabbath? Your baby was born eight days later. Now you have the Sabbath. So what do you do? Now you have these two commands in conflict. Well, do we obey and circumcise the male child? Or or are we going to obey the Sabbath and not do any work? What do we do? Well, the Jews would say, and we see this in their, the Jewish writings of the time, that they said, no, you have to obey circumcision first. So the Sabbath is not the priority. Rather, circumcision is the priority. This is something that we know they did. Jesus knows they did, and we know from history we know they did. They, they use this kind of logic, and Jesus just says, look at how inconsistent you are. Right? If you're going to put circumcision over the Sabbath, I healed a man who was paralyzed. I made his whole body whole. I healed him. I took away the curse of sin. How would that not be worthy of being above the Sabbath? What is Jesus saying? Guys, you're not really true seekers. You're not seeking to do the will of God. I can show you that. You want glory from other people. You want to kill me. You want to break the law of Moses. And even your own handling of God's word, you don't apply consistently. You don't actually know how to handle God's law, which shows you don't want to do his will. Now, right now, so far, the passage has been critical. Jesus has been critical of this crowd. Yes, he did speak very kindly and I think very patiently to their criticism. He welcomed their investigation. He said, fine, you want to fact check me? That's great. I will give you a clear answer. And then Jesus makes that wonderful promise. He says, if you really want to do God's will, you'll find if my teaching is true. If you're really seeking out truth, you'll find it. I promise you that. But then Jesus takes that principle and he applies it to them. He says, look, but you don't meet this criteria. You don't want to do God's will. You want to kill me. You're looking for the glory of men and you can't handle God's word correctly. Now, thank God the passage doesn't end there. Verse 24, Jesus gives this command. And I think this command has hope to it. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. Jesus welcomes their scrutiny. He welcomes their skepticism. He welcomes investigation. He he welcomes their inquiry. He he wants to be fact-checked. Fine. Come find out. Come see. Come look into it. See if, if what I'm saying is true. Judge rightly. He's saying, but don't judge by appearances. You're making this argument against me that doesn't stand, that doesn't work. You say I'm defying God's law. But I'm not, you know that from the way that you read Scripture and apply it. That you're trying to convict me of something that you do yourself, showing yourself to be inconsistent. And I know your heart, I know your motives. You want to destroy me. Because what you seek is religious power, and not true religious piety. You're not really seeking after the will of God. And so I think what Jesus is actually doing here, he's giving them a glimmer of hope. He's giving them this command. He's not completely dismissing them. 
But he's exhorting them, please, judge rightly. Fact check me. Explore. I wish, I wish that I could promise you that you would find true political facts. <laughs> but, if, but if I'm honest, I can't make you that promise, right? You could, you could fact check till your scroll finger is blistered and never find truth and just be frustrated. But spiritually, you don't have to go through that same kind of frustration. I'll make you this promise, and I only make you this promise because I think Jesus makes this promise in this passage, not only to his first century hearers, but he makes it to you as well. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. If you truly seek, you'll find. If you're truly looking and desiring to be obedient to God, your creator, if you're truly looking for spiritual answers, truly looking for spiritual truth, you will find Jesus to be true. So what does that, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in, in, in our week right now? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you've been following him for a while, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to invite somebody to investigate Jesus. Invite somebody to fact check Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. and I, I, I learned this strategy from my father. From Bobby. I love this strategy. And I learned this because, if I'm honest, one of my faults, right, and I, I have many, one of my faults is when somebody is, is really starting to explore Jesus, when they're really starting to look into who he is, it makes me so excited. It makes me so, so excited because I, I love Jesus and I believe what Jesus says is true and I believe that this book is true. And so, if somebody gets to the point where they're thinking about committing their lives to Jesus, I get so incredibly excited. At times, I can get a little impatient. And I just want to kind of, if I'm honest, I want to push them a little bit just to, to get them to that point of ultimate surrender to Jesus. It's true, right? And, and I don't think that's a bad motive, right? I don't. But that can be pushy, right? And can be impatient. And I shouldn't want to do that. And I learned this from my dad. I learned this from Bobby, who, who I would say has the gift of evangelism. And what that means is evangelism just means one who speaks the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Bobby has a gift and a love and a passion to tell people about Jesus. He does. And, and I think it's a gift because people love to follow Jesus after they hear Bobby talk about Jesus. But he does this strategy, and I love this. And every time he does it, he, he'll send me a text, and he'll let me know, hey, I, I, I did this, and there's, there's this many guys who are going to follow along with me. And then this is what he does, and I love this strategy. He just invites people to read the Bible with him. He just invites them to read the Bible with him. Most of the time, it's a coworker or somebody he's met just, you know, being out and about. And, and he'll say, hey, I'm... I'm just curious, man, would you be willing to read the Gospel of John with me? 
would you be willing to read the Bible with me? And you'll be surprised at how many people say yes to that. He'll have a group of people reading the Gospel of John together that don't go to church, that wouldn't call themselves Christians, wouldn't call themselves followers of Christ. Maybe they're spiritually curious, but they're very open to just read the Scriptures with him. It's remarkable. And I think to myself, man, that strategy really makes sense. Because I think sometimes, and I'm amazed at sometimes, and I know I do it myself, that I think we rush people sometimes to making a spiritual decision. And here's what I mean by that. The Christian decision is one of the most life-altering decisions that you can make. I I would argue it's the most life-altering decision you can make. To commit your life to Jesus Christ, to following Jesus Christ, to making him the Lord of your life, which is the Christian decision. The Christian decision is to confess him as Lord. To have him as Savior is to have him as Lord. You have to have both. If you want him to save you from your sin, then you've got to commit your life to following him. That's the, kind of, that's the deal, if you will. Well, that's a huge decision. You're, you're basically saying, I'm surrendering my authority over my life to somebody else. I'm signing off my life to somebody else. And that's Jesus. That's a huge decision. And sometimes we try to rush people to this life-altering decision. But, but think about another life-altering decision that we would never rush people into. Think about marriage. And marriage is a life-altering decision. Now, there are some people who, right, who fall in love at first sight. right? And at the end of the date, he just happens to have a ring, pops the question, they get married the next day, right? And there are stories of that working out and them being in love and having all kinds of kids and, right, and all that stuff and becoming therapists and marriage counselors, right? There's, there's those stories. But let's be honest, those are few and far between, right? The majority of us who get into a romantic relationship that, ends in, or that leads to marriage, that decision to marry that person, to commit our life to that person, that took time, Right? We didn't rush them into that. We didn't just marry the first person we met. We took time. We thought it through. Well, the Christian decision is so much bigger than that decision. So why would we rush people? Why would we not say, hey, look into this? Jesus would say, count the cost. Consider what it means to follow me. I think that's very fair. And so I want to just encourage and invite you to invite somebody to look into Jesus. Maybe somebody very near to you. And honestly, I think it would be a pretty easy step to take in the midst of everything that we're going through. Of just calling up a friend and saying, you know what, man, the world is is spinning in all different directions. And I have found that reading the Bible at this time has been really helpful. And I don't know if you've ever read the Bible before. But I was thinking about you when I was reading the Bible. And I was wondering if you would be open to reading the Bible with me. There's a book in the Bible. The Bible has many books. And there's a book in the Bible called the Gospel of John. It was written by a man named John. And I was wondering if you would read that gospel with me. And then we could just talk about it and and just kind of see how it helps us through this time. I think you'd honestly be surprised and how many people in your life, in your relational circles, who would actually welcome that invitation? Now, is there going to be somebody that's going to say no? Absolutely, sure there is. 
But I think you'd be surprised around the people who would just say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll read the gospel with you. Right? I'll read the Bible with you. I mean, everything is going out of control. Might as well give it a shot, right? <laughs> Invite people to look into Jesus. And I think you'd be surprised at how many people will take you up on that author, offer. Now, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Right, maybe you're, you're, uh, you're curious about Jesus. I want to encourage you with this. I'm, I'm sure that, that you have, you know, looked up and, and fact-checked maybe everything that I talked about before. Uh, during the debates and the town hall meetings and all these different things, you looked into all the propositions and all these different things, and, and you, you're, you're incredibly well-researched and you are confident and how you're voting, and all of those different things. Maybe you voted earlier, or you're going to vote later, or whatever it is, you're going to vote, and you vote, you feel confident in your vote. And the reason you feel confident in your vote is because you've done the research, and you know that the research was important because the next four years uh, could shape the next 40 years of our country. And so you felt kind of the weight of the election. You feel the, the weight of what this means for you, your children, your grandchildren, right? And so you've kind of put it under all this scrutiny. And I want to say, first and foremost, I applaud you for that. I think that is a very honorable thing, and I think you should do that. Because that kind of scrutiny is important when a decision, like the decision of who to vote for, can shape your future. We should be very very careful and give a lot of effort at analyzing all the angles when something shapes our future. Well, let me encourage you with this. I think the decision that you make about Jesus is more important than the decision that you make about the next president. Because the decision you make about Jesus will shape your eternity. Not 40 years, but all years to come. Right? Not just the end of a calendar year or many calendar years, but all the way into eternity. And I would invite you to give as much scrutiny as you gave to determining which candidate represents you the best. Please, Follow Jesus' advice here. Judge with the right judgment. Fact check Jesus. If you're truly seeking after the will of God, you will find that the teachings of Jesus are true. There's a promise there for you. It's a more important decision, but feel, feel the, the, the anxiety release in you that you can actually get to the truth. You don't have to worry about the, the, the information sources being incredibly imperfect. The teachings of Jesus wrapped up in here, you will find will be validated as you truly, in a pure motive, search out the will of God. That's the promise of Jesus. So my encouragement to you is to read the Bible. Is to read the Bible and let this book change you. Open it up. I mean, this is the best-selling book, the most read book, it is the purest book in transmission from ancient history. There is no ancient document more well-attested, more verified than this book right here. We have a book written by multiple authors over thousands of years that at its completion is over a thousand years old. Even its newest 
of parts are over thousands of years old. But this book is so incredibly well-preserved. Not anything in ancient history comes close to the reliability of the Bible. It is an incredible book. Even if you completely disregard the thought of God, you have to just find this book to be incredibly remarkable. I mean, it is something that has truly shaped human history. And the main character in this book literally has changed human history. I mean, Jesus Christ is the one who divides our calendar. His birth divides our calendar. Jesus Christ is the most influential person in human history. He's worth your investigation. Look into his claims. I think you will find he is not blowing smoke. He is not just talking a big game. He's not just making claims hoping you'll give him your vote. No. The claims of Jesus are more outstanding. They're bigger than any politician has ever made. But Jesus can back them up. And I think you'll find that to be true. So my encouragement to you is to read the scriptures, to read the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please contact us. We will put a Bible in your hand, I promise. And we would love to walk through what this book means for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Christ, I thank you for your promise. Your promise that if we are truly seeking after the will of God, we will find your teachings to be true. Man, how... How just wonderfully refreshing that is. I know for myself, and I, th- I think I can speak for many, we get so frustrated with trying to figure out what the real story is. And everybody seems to have their own spin. And we have to filter through all this fake news. And it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because the decision we have to make is so incredibly important. But we have a more important decision that has to be made. And that's what we say about Jesus. So we need the information to make this very important decision. I thank you, Christ, for making this promise to your first century hearers and making it to us in the 21st century. That if we truly seek after your will, Father, if we truly seek to obey you, we will find the teachings of Jesus to be true. Our investigation will lead us to the right information. Our scrutiny will bring us to the truth. So, Father, I pray that you will help us. Help us to have confidence as we talk about Jesus with our friends and family members. Help us to just invite them to investigate Jesus. We shouldn't be nervous about that. We should feel confident in that. And for those that are still curious about Jesus, looking into Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd encourage them to examine, to investigate, to fact check, to look into your son. And I think they'll find exactly what they're looking for. They'll find a savior, one who could handle their sin, who could forgive them of sin, who can call them righteous on the merit of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. 
or find a relationship with you. Oh, Father, would you be with us as we read your word throughout this week? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday.